The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the 2018 Established Summer Training Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. Um, all right, so um, today we're going to be talking about ethnic harmony. Uh, my name is Nermal Makala. I graduated from the U of M in 2014. I'm on staff at the U of M now, been on staff since 2015. Um, my wife, Anne, is right there. We got married in, at the end of 2016, so it's been about a year and a half. Been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'm gonna be talking about ethnic harmony today. But before I do that, I'm gonna explain life training. So um, life training is essentially, that's, that's what this packet is. That's what every Sunday you'll be coming to this room and hearing a life training talk. And they all are under the category of life training. So what that is, is essentially training in Christian living, which is obviously super broad. Like we're gonna hit a lot of different topics. We're gonna talk about care of creation, relationships, God's will for your life anxiety and doubt, personality, time management, um, just a whole kind of variety of, of different things that all pertain to how do I live as a Christian? That's essentially what we're trying to get at. There's going to be practical things. There's going to be heart-level stuff. Like, everything, everything's going to be included. Um, so that's what you guys can expect. Today I'm going to be talking about ethnic harmony. Um, and then one other thing to know about life training is this is not exhaustive. I mean, there's a, a million topics that we could cover um, that explain, you know, how how does the Bible apply to your life? Um, so you'll, you're, you will learn some specific examples that we'll talk about, but I hope that you'll also, um, as we're going through life training, just learn how to apply the Bible to your life, if that makes sense. Like not just get the specific examples, but kind of see, okay, what's the person doing that's speaking and how are they applying the Bible to their actual life? So that's, that's the goal of life training. So today, we're going to be talking about ethnic harmony. I've said it like 12 times. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a really hot topic in today's culture. Um, and so I'm really excited to talk about it. I'm hoping that uh, the Bible and just some of my personal experience will be able to uh, help us and guide us as we, as we go through the topic. So this is going to be my outline for today. Uh, I want to talk about God's heart towards ethnic harmony. And I have a few sub-points off of that talking about God's passion and what even is harmony. And then I want to talk about our heart towards ethnic harmony, uh, what that should look like, how, what it looks like to have a heart like God's and a heart of love. And then finally, how do we cultivate the right heart? If we, if we want the right heart, if we want a heart like God's and a heart of love, how do we get there? So that's, that's where we're going today, so you guys are aware. So... Open with me to Ephesians 3, 4, and 6. That's the next slide. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about God's heart in this passage, and, and you guys can follow along. You want to hit the... Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm going to make the point that God is passionate about ethnic harmony. So that's, that is what I'm going to explain from the text that we look at. So we can look at Ephesians 3, 4, and 6. I'll read that for everybody. When you read this, you can perceive... This is Paul talking to the Ephesians. He says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
Okay, so I'll, I'm going to kind of walk through this verse and explain what the main point of it is. And I'm going to take, take it uh, a little piece at a time. So the first question I have when I look at this is, what is the mystery that he's talking about? He seems to really emphasize the significance and importance of this mystery that's happening. So what is he talking about? If you look at verse 6, it tells you, the mystery is that the Gentiles are part of the body of Christ. All right, so the Gentiles are fellow heirs, they're members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ. So what does that mean? Who's a Gentile? What is, what's that word mean? What that word essentially means is anyone who's not of Jewish descent. So anyone in this room that's not, that doesn't have you know, Jewish descent in their ancestry would be considered a Gentile. And previously, like before the time of Christ, Jews and Gentiles were religiously separate all the time. But through Jesus, they're united because a Jewish person can believe in Jesus and be saved. And a Gentile person can believe in Jesus and be saved. So those two people, because they both are individually united to Christ, they become united with one another. And that's, that's the mystery. That's the, um, the mystery that Paul's talking about here. So why is that a mystery? Why, why does he call that a mystery? If you look at verse 5, it, it explains that. So... In verse 5, it says that it was not made known to men in other generations as it was in the generation of the time of the writer. So basically what that means is that up until the time of Christ, the time this was written, just, I don't know, 15 AD, 70 AD, something like that, um, all of history before then... Uh, People were religiously separate, and there was like a one-to-one -one correlation between religion and ethnicity. So if you were a Jew, you were an ethnic Jew and a religious Jew. And that was, that was kind of the end of the story. There was no, no one from any different um, religion could be part of your ethnicity, and no one from a different ethnicity could be part of your religion. Um, so that, that, was, that was like what, what existed for years and years and years, previous generations, until the time that um, Paul's talking about here, where Jesus comes and brings everyone together. And God set things up that way, but he never intended things to stay that way. He intended for Jesus to come and unite everyone, unite people from Jewish descent, or unite people from every imaginable ethnic background in Jesus. And he kind of hints at this throughout the whole Bible. Um, so this is, this is what happens in Christ, that um, the Gentiles and Jews are united. But he hints at it throughout the entire Bible. In Genesis, he talks about, he promises to Abraham that through him all the families of earth are going to be blessed. And then in the book of Ruth, he uses Gentiles in the kingly line of David that eventually Christ would come from. In Isaiah, the, the prophet Isaiah prophesies that someday all of God's people um, all the people of the earth will glorify God together. So God's kind of dropping all these hints, but the mystery isn't fully revealed until we get to Jesus and we see it's not through the sacrificial, that we get to, the sacrificial system that we get to God. It's through Jesus we get to God, and therefore anyone can get to God through Jesus. Okay, one last thing I want to look at from this text. Um, if you want to back up to the... Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> You're good. Um, so it says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. 
And I want to talk about that word, the, that describes mystery. It's interesting that, that he doesn't say it's a mystery of Christ or one thing that got revealed. He's saying this is the big reveal. This is um, a really huge, significant part of what God was doing throughout the Bible is revealed in the mystery of Christ where Gentiles and Jews are united. So this isn't just a footnote of the gospel. This isn't a side note or a small thing. This is at the very center of what God is doing. Um, so that, that's the passage. I'm going to explain a little. So I'm going to tell a little personal story and connect it to the passage, and hopefully it will illuminate what God's heart is in this situation. So my wife, Anne, um, she looks... I mean, she looks like she's 17 years old, but this year she turned 30, um, actually. Uh, and uh, I wanted to do something really big, something really big for her 30th birthday, because that's a big milestone. I mean, it's like a pretty big deal when you turn 30. So we, we really enjoy exploring cities together. That's like kind of a fun thing that we do. And she had mentioned a few times, like, hey, Winnipeg is within driving distance of Minnesota. I've always wanted to visit. So I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be perfect. I'm going to plan a surprise getaway to Winnipeg for her 30th birthday. Um, so I get an Airbnb, I make reservations at this nice restaurant, um, I wrote her card, I looked up all these things to do, and I'm like super excited, I'm like, this is going to be awesome, like she's going to love this surprise that I like am, am making for her birthday, so I'm like, like I, I, I like planned all this stuff like the week prior, and like the whole week it was like killing me to like not tell her, because I was like so excited to like um, let her know like what, what I was going to do for her birthday. Um, so imagine if, like, after I do all that, you know, after I plan all this stuff, after I look up I, all the stuff to do, and I tell her, hey, we're going to Winnipeg, it's a surprise, it's for your 30th birthday. Imagine if, if I did that and she goes, oh, uh, is that it? Like, how would that make me feel? Or, like, if, if she said, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I, well, that's, that's great, but um, I was planning on, like, going grocery shopping Friday, so like if we could leave Winnipeg early enough to make it back so I could run some errands. Like if, if, that, if that was like her first response to me, like how hurt would I be? You know, I like planned this like big surprise. I put all this like time and effort and meticulous care into this end result and she's disinterested. Like how, how hurtful would be that be? Thankfully, that's not what happened um, and we had a really good time. But I fear that at times that's what the church does with God's big surprise. Um, I think that God has meticulously um, created a story in which the people of God would not just be one ethnicity, but would be a multi-ethnic people. And he talks about it like it's the mystery of Christ. And it's this thing that he's been building throughout all of history. And I fear that at times we're kind of indifferent as the church towards that. Um, like we just kind of say, like that, that's, that's great, that's cool, but... The way that the Bible talks about it is so much more, so much grander than that. So, my point is that God is passionate about ethnic diversity, and I hope this kind of explains a little bit of, of why I believe that. He's over the top excited for the nations to get together under His name. So, I think we should play, pay really close attention to um, how we feel about it. Okay, so um, what is harmony? That's that's the next thing I want to talk about. Um, what even is harmony? So you might hear all that and, and counter or come back and, and say something along the lines of, well, that, that's, that's great, 
Um, I'm a Gentile, my, my, a lot of my friends are Gentiles. That, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I can be, I can know God, I'm glad I can participate in the gospel. Like, the mystery is, is great, but why do we need to talk about ethnic harmony? Like, why do we, why, why do we have this talk? Uh, if I treat everyone fairly and love them, like, why do we have to talk about race? Um, basically, I'm not a racist, so why are we talking about this? Uh, and that's a good question, that's a good question. I want to say that's a bad question. Uh, this is how I'll answer it. Christ's vision for ethnic harmony is unity, not uniformity. All right, so you guys can write that down. Christ's vision for ethnic harmony is unity, not uniformity. So I'm going to explain each of those words and then explain how I get that from the Bible. So uniformity is everyone existing uniformly and identically. So everyone is identical to one another. There's no meaningful differences between any, any two people. That's what uniformity would look like. But unity would be people from all different backgrounds and with all different experiences all unified and together maintaining their differences. So, and I'm going to argue that that's what Christ's vision is for the church. Unity, not uniformity. Okay, so if you want to hit the next slide, it's got a verse. So, this is Jesus praying to God um, in John 17. He says this, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Now, stop and think about that for a second. Jesus is saying, The way that I am one with the Father, I want Christians to be one with each other. Alright, so that's, that's what he's talking about. I want the unity that I have with the Father, I want Christians to have with one another. But in order to understand that, we need to know how God and Jesus are one. Because if that's the way that we're supposed to be one, we need to understand that. And God and Jesus are one in the sense that both God, God the Father and Jesus are God. Um, but they're also different. God is spirit. Jesus is flesh. God is fully, fully God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. There's differences. And what Jesus is saying is that um, like if you, if you want to hit the next slide, this is just a little image. Like the Father is God, the Son is God, but the Father is not the Son. They're not equal. And that's, that's what I think needs to happen with um, in, in our Christian communities. We, we, we're different from one another. And we're all one in Christ. We're all unified with Christ. But that doesn't mean that our differences are diminished or that they, they turn into nothing. It means that they're maintained even as we are unified with Christ. So this is the unity that God had in mind. Our, our cultures, our differences, our preferences, our longings, traditions, experiences, all those things survive being, coming to Christ. All those things are preserved when we come to Christ. So the goal is uni- unity, not uniformity. And that's why we talk about ethnic harmony. That's why it's important to actually discuss these things. Okay, so uh, next I want to talk about our heart. So the first point I want to make is just that our heart should reflect God's. Like if God has this over-the-top excitement about the peoples, the, the different nations of the world coming together under the banner of his son, then our heart should reflect that. We should care about it. We should be passionate about it. We should figure out what it should look like. So that's the first thing. And then the second is um, our heart should be a heart of love. Our heart should be loving. And I'm going to explain that through um, looking at the book of Colossians that we're studying this summer. All right, so 
I'm going to explain uh, a verse that I think should be kind of the banner that we fly over ethnic harmony. This is, I think this gives a lot of really helpful tools for how we can be loving to one another. It's Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Um, so I can read it and then, and then I'll explain a little bit. Actually, does someone from the audience want to read that? Just off the screen. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive, and above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Thank you. So, we need to put on a loving heart. A loving heart, as it says in the very last verse, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together. That's going to embody all these different traits that he's talking about. Compassionate hearts, kind hearts, meekness, patience. All those things are going to happen if we love one another. So before, I, I, what I want to do actually is explain why, um, why these characteristics are necessary and not optional when we're talking about ethnic harmony. I'm going to explain the significance and the importance of all these traits. But before I do that, I want to make one point. We are to put on love, which binds all these things together in perfect harmony, not a political stance. So you guys can write that down. You put on love, not a political stance. And I think that's just important to bear in mind. The Bible, my goal and the goal of the Bible is not primarily to just hand you, you know, believe this stance or take this, take up this issue. The goal is to wrestle through, okay, what does the Bible say for how I should relate to another person? What is, how does God feel about ethnic harmony? And then you do the work yourself of, of what the application of that is. And you do the work through conversations with other people. And I'm not going to hand that to you. That's something that you take these principles and, and figure out on your own. So I want to explain why, that said, I want to explain why the, the things that this verse is advocating that we would put on are necessary and not optional when it comes to ethnic harmony. So first, and this is funny, so it's actually, if you look in the verse, it, it does have the word humility. It wasn't in the slide that I just put on because I, uh, I mistyped. But humility is necessary, not optional, because... You are limited by your experience. So if you want to hit that. Humility is necessary, not optional, because you are limited by your experience. So I don't know what it's like to grow up African-American or African or white or Hmong or Hispanic or anything like that, because my parents are from India. Uh, I'm Indian-American, and that's the only experience that I have. So if somebody says, if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, growing up like this made me feel blank and 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 just says, share something from their experience, and I'm scanning my experience, I'm trying to like run through everything I've gone through in my life, and nothing lines up, I'm faced with a choice at that point. Like I can either reject what they're saying because it doesn't fit a category that I have, or in humility, I can listen to them and say, hey, like I, I need to learn from your experience, I need to learn from what you've gone through because I, I don't have the answers based off of what I've experienced. So I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take humility for us to have good conversations about race in the church. 
And you might think that I'm only speaking to majority culture people, like you guys need to learn what it's like to be a minority, and that, that's not the point I'm making. I think that it can apply to minorities as well. Like I, so I, um, I grew up going to Bethlehem Baptist Church, a lot of uh, the, that's a, Camp Sarge is the college ministry of Bethlehem, if you didn't know that. Um, and I feel really comfortable at Bethlehem. I've been at Bethlehem my whole life, like it's all I've known as a church, and I, I really enjoy being there. But if another Indian person were to come up to me and say, hey, it's really hard for me to be at Bethlehem. The music is, is not what I'm used to, or we do things this way and I don't really like that. Like, I can't put the trump card down because, well, I'm Indian too, so what you just said is invalid. Like, that, they have a different experience for me and I need to, in humility, accept you know, what they've said. Okay, so humility is necessary, not optional because you are limited by your own experience. Second, compassion is necessary, not optional, because pain is involved. Compassion is necessary, not optional, because pain is involved. The amount of pain surrounding race is really sobering. This is kind of a hard point for me to make. Um, racism cuts deep. Racism terrified me growing up. And I felt I felt so much fear that people would assume that I was a nerd and assume that I was socially incompetent because of stereotypes of Indians that I saw on television. Um, if you wanna, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of a funny song and video, but it's also kind of painful. Uh, but if you, if you guys want an example, just look up Baljeet, Phineas and Ferb. Yeah, yeah, well, another time, but, uh, <laughs> Um, but that's from just from a TV show. Uh, there's like a song where, it, it, but it, it's that's the kind of thing that I. In, in the song, he's portrayed as kind of this weak, sort of flat character, and I was afraid that people would see me like that. And I don't even know, like people didn't even treat me like that. Like it wasn't something I experienced. It was just the anticipation of racism. It was something that was really painful and um, scary at times for me and. Something that I, it was, a, was a really hard part of growing up. And I just kind of shudder at the thought that even in this room, there could be pain so much deeper than that. Like what I experienced is just scratching the surface for the pain that could be associated with, with race and, and from racism. And I just think that you don't respond to the pain of other people with arguments or proofs or things like that. You respond with compassion. That, that's, how, that's what you need in, when pain is involved. So I think the wave of pain that has come from racism in this country needs to be met with a wave of compassion. And I think one way to be compassionate practically is when you're having conversations with people about race, just bear in mind that it could be a painful subject. Don't, don't expect that someone you don't know very well is going to go super deep with you and explain, hey, this is like all the ways that it's been hard to, to be a minority. Like that probably won't be the case and, and that should be, those types of conversations are, they're intimate things and they should be happening with people you feel close with and, and people that would trust you. Next. Uh, Patience is necessary and not optional because race is complex. 
Patience is necessary, not optional, because race is complex. So my own experience, I would say, is complex. There are years where, the years that have gone by where I haven't thought twice about being Indian. It's just kind of been like a fact in my head that, that hasn't really affected me. And there's been years where I've thought about it every single day because I've been trying to figure out what it means. Like even this last year, I, can't, I feel like I got really like stoked up on being Indian and I was like learning to cook curry and like all this stuff and like I just love being Indian. And then I like went to India and like for over spring break and it was kind of like, wait, I love being in America. Like uh, I like clean bathrooms and clean cities. And uh, so it's just kind of funny. It's like even in my own life, my perception of being Indian has, it's been like a roller coaster, like it's changed a lot. And I just know that in this room, there's like a lot of, a lot of minorities, even a lot of majority culture white people that like you guys have, you're probably thinking about race differently different times in your life. And it's just a complex thing. Like it's not like a, there's not like a simple answer. It's not just like a simple conversation that needs to happen. Like, and I think that what that means is that like as I'm talking to somebody and, and explaining to them what it's been like to be an Indian American, I need that person to be patient because it's not, I'm not gonna give them a linear, clear, this is what it's been like because it's, it's been complex and I need patience on other people. And, I, I, and what's really helped me is like my close friends like Zach, Berto, Eric, my wife, like those people have, been, have just opened the door and said, hey, if you have anything you want to say, we're listening, but there's like no pressure that you'd like present me with this like really clear statement. And that's been so helpful. So I think patience is necessary, not optional. Okay, finally, forgiveness is necessary, not optional, because we will fail. Forgiveness is necessary, not optional, because we will fail. No one's standard in this room in a conversation about race needs to be perfection on behalf of the other person. You should expect other people to mess up. You should expect that someone might, might have an arrogant position that they don't even know that they hold. You should expect that somebody might have this boiling resentment and anger that is unbridled and unchecked. Like that's just par for the course. That's just what it's like to have conversations about race. And these conversations, they're not gonna be, they're not gonna happen if we wait for them to be free of sin and they need to happen. So I think that because of that, forgiveness is absolutely necessary because we're gonna fail. Like every one of these types of conversations will have sin in it at some point, I'm sure. And I think that we need to come messy and have these conversations anyway. That said, I'm actually gonna qualify that. Forgiveness is ultimately what you should expect from a believer. Like everyone in this room who's trusting in Jesus, like they've been forgiven by the Lord and the Bible commands them to forgive you if you wrong them. But that's not the case outside in the world. And we should know that it, it, the same thing might not be true for an unbeliever. Like you could say something that doesn't have compassion, doesn't have humility, doesn't have patience to someone who's not a Christian and they might not forgive you. And that's like hard to think about, but I think that adds like a level of sobriety that we need to have about learning how to have race conversations in a constructive way because it could be a barrier for the gospel going forth if we don't learn and know how to relate to people with different experiences from our own. All right, so 
that's that's kind of what I had as far as what our what a heart of love looks like. Um, all these words are actually in the in the passage from Colossians, so hopefully that'll be a helpful kind of thing you can look back on. So finally, I just want to close with a few um, charges. So this is how we cultivate the right heart. I just have two things, super simple. One, educate. So I think that they're, they're, I mean, if God's heart is for the nations, if God's heart is for different cultures coming together under his name, and if he wants us, if he cares a lot about that, we should learn about culture. We should learn about the history of race in this country. We should uh, be aware of those things. Like, those are all things that you should be watching documentaries, listening to podcasts, listening to sermons, like whatever it takes for you to gain a higher awareness of what, what's going on in this country. And that could go to anyone. You just, I mean, I'm not just talk, truly not just talking to majority culture people here like that. Like, I need to look into these things more. Then the last thing I would say is just relate. Um, I try to have them so they rhyme. Um, educate and relate. But, uh, and what I mean by that is like getting conversations. Like in your rooms, talk about this stuff. Like actually engage with other people on projects. And I think these conversations just need to happen. And as we do that, we'll have a chance to kind of gauge like where, where are the areas where my heart's not where it should be. Um, and as we relate to one another, I think that's going to help us cultivate a heart. So I'm just going to pray one more time to close us, and, uh, and then we'll be done. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you so much for um, your, your vision for the world. I thank you that you created all these different cultures with different traditions and different different things, and you designed for them to come together under, uh, under the blood of Jesus. And I thank you for that. I thank you that um, missionaries came to my family years and years ago, and um, so many of my family members believe because of that. And so, God, I just thank you for the gospel and, and how far-reaching it is. God, I just pray that on this project, our heart would reflect yours. Give us wisdom in the conversations that we should have Give us grace in having those conversations well and with a heart of love. Um, God, I, I just pray that as people are thinking about the confusing, complex experience that they have, that you would give them wisdom in how to communicate those things and share those things. Um, and God, we just need help. We need so much help. Um, and uh, I pray, just pray that you'd be kind in, in our conversations. Um, and I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at clminneapolis.org.